So chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. Would someone please read that? Thank you, Bethany. Okay. Well, this is not the first time that he's talked about his difficulties, his hardships. And we saw in the last part lesson how he actually said, I will boast, not like the world does, and then he boasts about all these weak sh- weaknesses and hardships that he experienced. So we've been seeing it all along. It's not this, this is not the first time. So what happened 14 years before this letter was written in verse 2? He was caught up to the third heaven. He says he knows a man, but then later on he talks about it from his own experience. So we know it is that Paul is the one he's talking about. That whole third heaven, did you read that little section, the little think about it, or focus on the meaning at the top of the page? That was a Jewish phrase referring to the place where God lives, the third heaven. Now, interestingly, the word caught up that Paul uses there is the same word he uses in 1 Thessalonians 4.17 when he said those who are dead in Christ will be raised and caught up together with those who are alive and meet the Lord in the air. And that Greek word was translated to Latin when the Latin when the Bible was translated in Latin to rapturo from which we get the word rapture. That's a, it's a similar word. You know, that whole concept. And I looked up that definition of that Greek word. It says to be carried off by force, to be snatched, claimed for oneself. So you picture Jesus snatching Paul, claiming him for himself, you know, carrying him up to this. And he hears these things. Um, and it, the words, mine says inexpressible. What are, any other translations there? Inexpressible words. Yeah, it's just unspeakable. You can't speak them. That's, they're not per- permitted to tell. So he wasn't permitted to say, to share what he, what he heard. So about what does he choose not to boast? He's not going to boast about what? Himself. He said he'll boast about that person, but not himself. If he chooses to boast about that experience, he would not be a fool because it was true. So why does he refrain from boasting about that experience? So that nobody will think more of me than what I'm teaching. Yeah, seeing and hearing. In order to keep from being conceited, what happened in verse 7? Got the thorn in the flesh. Okay. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Three times Paul did what? He to take it away. You know, and I went only three times. <laughs> Three times. Okay, then God's answer. We've already gone over that. We're going to cover that in detail. Uh, What is Paul's response to God in verse 9? He says, I will do what? Boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And then we were to write Paul's choice of how to live. And we've, we've read that just a minute ago. So if you look at the next page, think about the time period of this happened about 14 years before Paul wrote this letter. He wrote this letter in 56 AD, subtract 14 years, it's 42 AD. This was way before he went on his first missionary journey. He was back in his hometown of Tarsus and he was ministering in the the areas around there, Syria and Cilicia. And that's when this thing happened, this experience. So for 14 years, he's kept it quiet. Why did Paul feel like he needed to share it at this point? Mm 
What does he say? If you looked at verse 11, it actually kind of tells you. What does it say in verse 11? Yeah, the first part of it, it says, you drove me to it. Have you ever used that with somebody? I really wasn't going to do this, but you made me. You drove me to it. The situation with these super apostles, right? You think that might have been the, this whole experience? It's like, okay, I'm going to share it with you. Can you imagine keeping something like that quiet for 14 years and then finally sharing it? And then, of course, it's written in Scripture, so everybody knows it since then. What discipline it took to keep that experience quiet. What does that tell you about his character, too? It's a little clue about his character. What does it kind of tell you? Integrity. Humble. Yes. What he valued. Yes. I, I like that, that quote I put in there from Kelly Mentor. She says, we love the sensational. We get excited for a miracle or a good vision or dream. We're infatuated with the platforms of Christian celebrities, but do we have the same level of passion for daily faithfulness? It's the consistent godly patterns of our lives that yield enduring fruit. And if you have somebody who is consistently faithful in your life, usually you appreciate them. You recognize and appreciate them, don't you? One more thing to validate that, that status as an apostle. So let's look at the what and why of Paul's thorn in the flesh. Now, Although a lot of speculations are made, I mean, we do not know. No one knows. Um, and I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, you know, it's, it's better to avoid speculations because then you begin to think of them as being true. But most of us can identify with having a thorn or a splinter stuck in our skin. So you know that it is painful. It hurts. And he used, the word he used is thorn. It's a stake. You know, it was impaled into his flesh. He used flesh. So he was talking about something that was a physical pain, even though a lot of times we will use that same phrase for a person who's bothering us or an experience that's bothering us. And, and it's appropriate for those times because the application of what God says is the same. But for Paul, it was in his body. And I remember having a, a tripped over this wooden post when I was... Um, pregnant for my third child, and I had, it went into my leg and had all these pieces of wood in it and oozing, and we had to clean it and pull all that wood out and then treat it with vitamin E for months and until it was finally healed and, and so forth. And that was painful. So even if it was, you know, if you have a small thorn, whatever it is, it just reminds you it's there, right? Do you have, do you have something, a physical ailment, that you've experienced that you know it's there. Now, Paul called it a messenger from Satan. So um, are all thorns from Satan? Well, there is an, an example of someone in the Old Testament that God allowed Satan to touch his body. Who was that? Job. Job. And so it might be an allusion to that experience. Whatever it was, the Lord God in his goodness allowed Paul to experience this thorn in his flesh. Now, the danger of taking like one verse like this, verse 7, and building a theology on it, what would be the danger? What, what would be something that you could build a theology on here that would be wrong? 
I don't know if you've ever heard anybody teach that when you have a physical illness that it comes from Satan. Yeah, okay. Um, what kind of biblical background or teaching could you use to show that that is not true about every illness that happens? Is there any indication from the days of Jesus that some illnesses were not caused by satanic stuff? Yeah. And, and there's a distinguish, right, between the demonic, those that were demon-possessed and those that were healed. Yeah, that were just sick. Okay, so that, if you ever hear that kind of teaching, then you know that that is wrong. It's a false teaching. And they've just taken this verse and built something on it. Now, God sometimes does the afflicting himself. He wrestled with a man in Genesis all night long and then touched his hip and dislocated it. Do you remember who that man was? Jacob. That wasn't Satan. That was God. So we cannot say that all illnesses, all injuries, and all that stuff come from Satan. Some of it is just part of being in a fallen world. Okay? Just want to make sure we're, we're, we're okay with that. Um, how many times did he ask for it to be removed? Whitney, three. Did God say yes? Did God say yes or no? He said no, at least for the at the third one. Um, most of us probably ask for things more than three times, right? Um, I was telling Sharon that my son is disabled, and I've been pleading with the Lord for the last two or three years to heal him. And after reading this passage, it's like, okay, he hasn't done it yet. I'm just going to stop. God knows already. I've asked him over and over again. And he said, no, or maybe wait, but I don't need to be pleading with him anymore. So I'm just going to look for the good that's going to come out of his, whatever God is doing in his life. Um, so, okay, so let's go to um, understand God's answer. So would somebody read uh, verse 9 in the message? Okay, so it's kind of hard to figure out, but verse 9, God's answer. Somebody read that in the message. I, th I found it interesting when he talked about, um, once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap. You know, so, um, so let's look at God's answer. God said his grace is sufficient. Uh, did anybody define that word sufficient? Enough. Enough. Anything else? Plenty. Ample. Abundant. Adequate. Yes. Yes. The, and the actual Greek word that is used there means to be possessed of unfailing strength. So God says his grace is sufficient. How can God's grace be sufficient when you have a persistent thorn? His favor, he's with you, right, he's going to get us through it, even if it hurts and it's not what we want. I like, I like the way you said that. Yes, yeah, so whatever it is that we need at that moment. Have you ever heard somebody say, I didn't really understand how God's grace could be enough until I went through something and then I had it? So maybe we don't always understand it until we go through that, right, and experience it, how his grace can be enough. And as Rachel said, we need him. When we need him, especially, we, we recognize it. So God's um, power, it says, my power is made perfect in weakness. If his power is made perfect, 
means it's perfected, finished, exactly fitting the need in a certain situation or pur- purpose. It's kind of like tailored to that need, exactly fitting the need in a certain situation or purpose. And that same word was used when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Same word. Would you say that Jesus did exactly what was needed to fit the purpose of his dying on the cross? Yes. So it fits the same thing, fits that need. So if you think about it, how is God's power made perfect in weakness? We quote these words, but what does it mean? How is God's power made perfect, complete, fitted in our weakness? Okay, so God's power shows itself through us, I guess, most effectively in our weakness, right? I mean, to us, too to get us through it, but then other people are watching, aren't they? Ah, leaves no doubt whose power is on display. Clearly not ours, yes. Any other thoughts on this? These were hard questions, I thought. Great idea, illustration of a hair dryer. It has power, but is not used. Make perfect until you plug it in, then you can use it. Yes, that's when it's needed. That's right. You need that power source when you have something lacking. And we kind of run out of resources too, don't we? If we're doing it in our own strength, we get tired, we get, but we're running on his strength and he can keep filling us up, right? We know you're right. We can't take the credit because we know that. Excellent. Yes. And as we've seen in 2 Corinthians, it says the light of the knowledge of the glory of God is in us. And when is it going to shine the best? is when he's showing, right? And not more so than uh, our own selves. Beautiful. Okay, well, after Paul heard from Jesus, his tone changed from pleading with the Lord to remove the thorn to an entirely new response. Um, So his new response says, I'll boast about my weakness so that, what? Christ's power may rest on me. Let's talk about that a little bit because we, we've talked about boasting. Boasting means glorying. But that word, would Christ's power rests on me? I looked that word up. Did anybody, did any of the leaders look that one up? The rest, where Christ's power rests on me? Dwell in me. Um, to take possession of me. To live in me. I liked that, the dwell So it's more than just rests on me. That's kind of a, to me, rest is kind of a weak word. But take possession of me, dwell, make his home in me, with me, is a stronger word. So he says that, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. I mean, how many of you boast gladly about your weaknesses already? Because now you can boast all the more gladly about your weaknesses. This doesn't make sense, does it? To boast all the more gladly about our weaknesses? It's kind of, yeah, I delight. I did look up that word because that one, I had question marks by that one. It's like, really? It's funny how you read verses over and over again and you don't notice them. And this time I noticed that word, delight. It means it seems good to me. I'm good with. I'm ready to do 
I take pleasure in, I think well of. I'm well content in. So it doesn't have anything to do with giddiness. Uh, there's several other translations. Does anybody have a different translation on that one? I think the message had, um, with good cheer, which that sounds very British. <laughs> consider it pure joy. Mm-hmm. How many of you consider it pure joy when you go through trials? Pure joy. Not just a little joy, pure joy. Yeah, I delight. But it, it helps to know that it means it seems good to me. I'm content in that. I'm ready to move forward. I can think well of it. God used that same word when he spoke about his son Jesus, whom I love and whom I am well pleased. Delighted. But that doesn't mean it's easy, right? What is it, you know? Um, how can it be that... When you are weak, that you want to admit it, boast in it, even be glad about it. How can it be when you're weak that you can be strong? Some of the same things that we've already talked about. Yes, for sure. It's more of a heart change towards looking at your circumstances, isn't it? If you look at the list that Paul mentions, he talks about weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. So weaknesses... His physical uh, ailments would come under that category. So an illness, an injury, that would come under that category of weakness. Um, Insults, that's usually from other people's sinfulness. So what other people do to you because of their sinfulness, that would be in in that category. So the the, uh, bandits, he said in the last lesson, he said he was in danger from bandits. Abuse, dishonor would come under that category. What other people have do, are, who are sinful doing that affects you. Hardships, generally we think of that more financial, don't we? Hardships, kind of financial. So he talked about being hungry. He talked about being thirsty. He talked about um, being sleepless, being poor. That would be those hardships would be those kinds of things that just kind of happen as being part of life. Persecutions, we can kind of figure that one out. <laughs> Remember all those floggings, the beatings, the stonings? And Paul healed other people, didn't he? But for this thing, whatever it was, God... But there was a purpose for it. What was the purpose to keep him from being what? Conceited. Yeah, so there was a purpose. Doesn't mean that every time you have an illness or an injury, that God is doing that to keep you from being conceited, right? However, what Bethany said was, it does remind us not to take on for ourselves more than what we should and get prideful, right? If we're looking at this, in what ways was Paul made strong in all these weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties? What have we seen in his life that illustrates this for us? We don't see a lot of whining, do we? We don't see him falling away, do we? Okay, what else? His diligence for them. In spite of all the things that were happening to him, he was still more concerned about them. Okay, what else? Yes, God brought fellow workers into his life to support him, for sure. Definitely, he received joy from that. And what is the Holy Spirit doing in our lives to make us do what? More and more like whom? Christ. 
So Paul is becoming more and more like Christ as he's going through all of these things, right? And he wrote to the churches. His words were the Lord's words to them and to us and became part of our scripture, right? Let's consider our own lives. If we're going to apply this where God says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness, what should that look like in your life, in my life? What would that look like? What would that sound like? What kind of words would you say? What kind of, what kind of feelings would you have? What, what would be different? How would that affect your life? Oh, love it. Beautiful. Yeah, so it's a growth area in you being able to grasp onto that. Good. What else? I mean, if you have a thorn, well, let's talk about a chronic illness just as an example similar to, does anybody have a chronic illness? So can you say that I will delight in this? <laughs> yes, yes. See that how hard that is. I will delight in this. Yes, because for when I am weak, then I am strong. That's y'all. This is hard stuff. This is not easy. But obviously, it's possible. Is there a benefit to us for following Paul's example? What would be the benefits to us if we followed Paul's example? We'd be strengthened. Focus on the Lord. More at peace. Okay, freedom from the illusion of control. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I, I'm kind of learning it at 66. It's just an illusion, Melanie. <laughs> yeah, do others benefit from it as well? He's glorified, yes. And then others see it, and they are drawn to him because of what you're going through. Definitely. Okay, any other comments about this particular um, passage? These verses, any other questions about anything? It's an attitude. An attitude change. You get to do this. So, so we get to delight in our weaknesses so that when we are weak, we are strong. Yes, yeah, so it's not like we have to. We get to do it. I like that. It's a change of attitude, isn't it? 